Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Houston to speak with Ben DeBose of Locked On Rockets about James Harden's historic run and how the Rockets cope with Clinker Palace injury. We'll go to Brooklyn to speak with Josh Bass of Locked On Nets about the team that is right in the thick of the Eastern Conference playoff race. And lastly, we'll go to Golden State to the Bay Area to speak with Charles Hamilton of Locked On Warriors about the return of DeMarcus Cousins. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. NBA. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and you can find me on Twitter, as always, at RedRock underscore Beeble. Lots for us to talk about. The NBA is getting really interesting. Lots of uh, interesting scenarios right across the league. We're going to cover three of those today. So let's get to it. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast, Ben Dubose, is back to talk about a team that we spoke about earlier in the season. They were struggling quite a bit, of course. They're, they've lifted themselves back up now into the playoff picture, uh, 26 and 19 at the moment. But Ben, what we want to talk about at this point, a couple of things. But first of all, let's talk about James Harden, who's on um, an historic run of, of scoring uh, excellence. Like, let's try and put this in context, what Harden is doing at the moment. Yeah, it's stunning. His last three games, 57, 58, and 48 points. He's been averaging more than 40 for 20-plus games now. But the craziest part, I know you want to talk a little bit about the Clint Capella absence, the Kenneth Fareed signing in a little bit. The last three games without Capella, if there's any player you would think that's especially difficult on, it's hardened because without Capella, there's zero threat of vertical spacing. The lob game isn't there. And yet somehow to, to go out and score 57, 58, and 48, despite not even having a lob threat. Now, they did finally get Eric Gordon back, which helps some. But he is scoring at a level that's almost unprecedented. Certainly here in Houston, I've never seen anything like it before. His last four games, he's averaging over 50 points as well. And he's doing it over this last you know, stretch of time. We're still averaging nine assists per game. He's averaging two steals per game. He's shooting his free throws at a higher level. How much are you worried, though, about burnout being a factor here for Harden? As we've seen in the playoffs, that's been a common narrative. I'm not sure 100% agree with that. But this is an extraordinarily load he's taken on. Uh, over the last month, he's got a usage of over 44%, which is an astonishingly large number, and over 40% over the duration of the season. Is, is that a real worry? Is fatigue and burnout a problem here? I think it's largely overdone by people who are trying to force a narrative. I generally think, you know, last year his playoff performance was fine. The team was on their own path to success, what they were projected to do. And ultimately, you know, Chris Paul's hamstring went out. And then at that time against the Warriors, you know, it's basically one all-star against a team with four and two MVPs. They just didn't have the pieces. I'm not sure how much fatigue played into it maybe a couple of years ago against the Spurs although I think collectively San Antonio was just a better squad than the Rockets were that year now in this case because it is such a superhuman thing do I think there could be a toll yes but it's one of those situations where I doubt it would just miraculously show up in the playoffs I would worry about it just as much if not more 
down the stretch of the regular season. And so that's where, you know, you're encouraged that Eric Gordon came back. He's been a disappointment this year shooting the ball, but last two games he's shot 50% from three. Last night he had 30. They're supposed to get Chris Paul back this week. So to answer your question, it is a concern with how high the usage is. I just disagree with the characterizations that it would magically show up in, you know, April, May, or June. If anything, I think the concern would be over the next couple of months. And if that's the case, and it could be, then you have to hope that Gordon and especially Chris Paul, after getting a month off, are ready to step up into a larger role and take some of the burden off of him. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it is a little bit of an overblown narrative that isn't necessarily proven in any way that all of a sudden fatigue hits you three months after a a big run like this. Um, What's the latest on Chris Paul? Where, Where are we at with his injury? The thought is that he'll come back this this week, and everything to this point, uh, D'Antoni has said that Gordon consistently was due to come back this past week. He did on Wednesday, expanded his role to 32 minutes in Saturday night's win over the Lakers, and then that Paul was about a week behind him. So if that holds true, uh, that would put him on course to return probably Wednesday in New York. The interesting thing, Josh, as someone that watched both Paul and Gordon, you know, their rehab through this process, Paul has been the guy to me that before games has actually been moving a lot better and shooting a lot better. Gordon is still limping a bit. That first game against Brooklyn, the game that they blew, Gordon actually left the game prematurely after just 21 minutes. He was hobbling a little bit. It's just the difference in the injuries because with Gordon, it's a bruise. So even though it still hurts him, they're more willing to let him play through because it's not like he can really make it worse as opposed to with Chris Paul. They're being extra cautious because, of course, the nature of hamstring injuries, the recurrence has already recurred once in that same left leg. They want to be as close to 100% as they can that it's not going to happen again. So for everything that I've seen, he looks pretty good. He's been moving quite well. It's just a matter of when they feel confident to actually turn him loose on the floor. We referenced it a little bit, or you referenced it a little bit earlier, the uh, the signing or the potential or the likely signing of Kenneth Fareed is likely to come down Monday after his buyout uh, with the Nets and clearing waivers. Um, obviously, with Capella out, they initially tried a little bit of Nene there starting. They had Marquise Chris and Isaiah Hartenstein, which was a disaster. Fareed, I guess, can provide somewhat of an offensive facsimile to Capella, probably not able to do it as well as what he does, but defensively there's still those concerns. How do you see Capella, Fareed, fitting in with this team? Do you think it's going to be relatively seamless in terms of that Capella role offensively? Offensively, yes. Defensively, all you're hoping for is passable because especially six foot eight, 220, he's not going to become a rim protector magically at age 29. Offensively, it's a good fit. Uh, one thing you, people should keep in mind is that, you know, Fareed and Harden did play on Team USA several years back, so they've got some experience together. I think offensively, from what limited I've seen, he hasn't got many minutes, but he still has the lift that he had back in the day. And I think the biggest thing that they're looking for him to provide is the threat of vertical spacing and the ability to get some rebounds. You look at the Laker game, they're out rebounded 56 to 39 and the last two games, put it in perspective, Josh, how wild these last two Rockets games have been the previous NBA record, which was their own from December, 2016 for three point attempts in a game was 61. The last two games, they fired up 70 and 68. Because without Capella and without even the threat of a role man, there's not even really a point to them trying a normal pick and roll. Everything is just five out and bombs away. And of course, at least to all the extreme variants, you know, big leads, blowing it. And the Lakers game, the big comeback. Ultimately, what they want from Fareed, sure, you want to finish a couple of lobs. But what I think they're looking for is an offense that's just a little more 
normal. Not that they're going to become a team that suddenly doesn't shoot the three ball the way they have because it's the Rockets, it's Daryl Morey, Mike D'Antoni, but you want to dial it down to where you're not taking 68 or 70 a game. And so what I think the hope is, is that the presence of Kenneth Freed as a Clint Capella light, will he provide you everything, especially defensively? No, but he can at least return you to a little bit of normalcy to where you're taking a lot of threes, but not just a historic, ridiculous number every time out. Well, the Rockets have had success just plugging guys in all season. We saw Daniel House be a starter and provide solid numbers. James Nunnally came in and was uh, okay, although he's not likely to be on this team for too much longer once Fareed arrives. And now the next uh, next challenge is going to be integrating Fareed with this team. But as I said, D'Antoni's had significant success in doing that. And Ben's going to have all that covered for you over on Locked on Rockets to see how this hardened run continues, the reintegration of Chris Paul into the lineup, and of course, how this Kenneth Fareed situation goes. So Ben, thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA and talking about... Uh, the potential, uh, I guess, front runner for the MVP, James Harden. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Josh. Now I'm joined by the host of one of the hosts of the Locked On Nets podcast. It is Josh Bass here. Josh, the Brooklyn Nets, I think, are surprising a lot of people at the moment because they currently sit with a record over 500 in January in the sixth spot in the playoffs, just behind the Boston Celtics. This team has surprised many, especially after their best player went down with that sickening injury, Karis Levert, earlier in the season. What has fueled this uh, this run over the last three, four, five weeks from Brooklyn to push themselves not only into the playoff discussion, but yeah, solidly into the playoffs at the moment? Yeah, Josh, no one is more surprised than me, to be honest. But really, the key play has been coming from uh, D'Angelo Russell. In January alone, he's averaging 23 points, 7.5 assists, 50% from the field. And this is a guy that's been killed for his efficiency so far in his young NBA career. But it seems like he's turned a corner. So... With Russell, with the very consistent Spencer Dimwitty, um, guys like Joe Harris, Rodion's Kurutz, and Jarrett Allen becoming solid role players, this team is all of a sudden figured out under Kenny Atkinson. Obviously, they were eight and eighteen, um, kind of right after that Levert injury. Sixteen and five over the last twenty-one games. Given the talent that they have, it's really astounding. And Russell has been the guy driving the ship. The, the Levert injuries are worth mentioning here because they also lost another starter in Alan Crabbe. So they're doing this now. I don't think Crabbe's all that good, and I don't think he really should be a starter on this team, but mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a, a separate point. But here's a guy who was starting games for this team all of last season. Levert was a key driver for this team, and they're doing it without both of those guys at the moment. And, and you mentioned uh, Rodion's Kurooks, who's been fantastic, you know, stepping in as a second-round rookie. How much of this is is Kuroks, I guess, maybe being a little bit undervalued heading into the draft, or is it just Atkinson really putting the trust in him that's enabling him to develop and, and take on this role that's going to you know, hold him in good stead for the rest of the season and the rest of his career? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a combination because you look at Kuroks, he was buried on FC Barcelona. I mean, everyone knew this was a talented player going into um, the 2017 NBA draft that he had declared. He probably would have been a top 15 or 20 pick, but just scouts not getting to see him whenever they would visit Barcelona. It obviously took a hit to his draft stock. But when you look at the guy, he's shooting 50% from the field, 35% from three, over 90% from the line. I mean, he's someone you could project out in a couple of years to be a 50, 40, 90 player. And defensively, uh, no one's going to ever confuse him for Paul George, but he's has good size, decent agility, a lot of length. He can credibly guard both the two, three, and four. Uh, and Kenny Atkinson is really... Uh, just empower this second round rookie to have a big role on this team. And Atkinson's a very progressive coach. He's not going to just get into these platitudes saying, okay, you're a first round pick. You're a second round pick. You guys are going to sit on the bench and learn from our veterans. He's going to play whoever the best guy on the floor is. So that's why we've seen Kruitz take a starting role 
over guys like Damari Carroll, who's been playing very well. Um, obviously, Travion Graham's just coming back from injury. But Atkinson is, is such um, – he gives guys the opportunity to succeed, and that's what Kuritz has done. He's, he's grabbed the bull by the horns. It's interesting to note that um, yeah, you talked about being buried in Barcelona, and this is something that I think we need to really, or people need to really pay attention to when when scouting prospects that come from Barcelona. But if there's a player wants to come to the NBA, Barcelona just won't play them. So why why mm-hmm. do we bother developing these guys or playing them if they aren't going to stick around? And that happened to another Nets stash player as well, Alexander Vesenkov, who I believe has gone to uh, Olympiakos. Maybe he's definitely left Barcelona, but he was a guy who also wasn't able to play over the last couple of seasons. Once he was drafted, they just said we're not going to develop you, and that. That happened to Kuroks, and that enabled him to slip through the cracks and to the nets to make that decision. But they're, they're obviously well aware of that Barcelona scenario, taking guys from there in the, uh, in each of the last couple of seasons. Um, Jarrett Allen, another guy who I thought stalled a little bit earlier this season, but but recently Josh has uh, has really stepped it up, putting together some some strong offensive and defensive performances as well. Have you seen a change in the way that he's been utilized, or in just in terms of his on court performance over the last few weeks? Yeah, um, I, I think the way what we're seeing from Jared Allen is a bit more aggression and the stats don't look too different. I mean, really the big improvement for him this year is he's really inc- increased his rebounding rate, decreased his turnover rate. He just seems to be getting a little bit more comfortable. Uh, and, you know, he's known as someone who's a passive guy, but he really does love the game. Um, and he's someone that the Nets have trusted to say, hey, even though we have this great backup center at Davis, you're still our, our long-term center, and we're going to let you play through mistakes. There might be games where you're going three of nine from the field and um, and getting roasted by the opposing team's center, but we're going to let you play through that, and it's not going to affect your minutes for the next games. And I feel like uh, over halfway into the season, he's really gained his footing. Obviously, that huge 2020 game against Houston, and he still has some inconsistent play, but I think his defensive performance and the rebounding totals and the blocks totals, he's he's uh, putting up are really trending upwards. And it's more about finding that consistency inside because we know he can dunk the ball, but it's more about um, being able to finish those floaters in the, uh, in the lane, three to five foot shots. If he can improve his touch there, he's going to be a dynamite offensive player. I'm going to circle back to D'Angelo Russell now, Josh, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Should he be an all-star? Oh, Josh, you're giving me the tough questions. Um, You know, it's tough. I think that the Nets are, at a place right now where they've been the surprise of the league uh, along with the Sacramento Kings. They're now the sixth seed in the East. I would love for them to have an all-star, but when I'm looking at D'Angelo Russell versus a guy like Kyle Lowry or Nikola Vucevic, I just think Vucevic's numbers are too good um, to have D'Lo over him. And I think Lowry's team has been too good. I I want to reward Toronto with that second all-star. If D'Angelo can keep this, his recent play up for another five to seven games, and it's really getting to the time where, um, the coaches are, are having to pick reserves. I think he has a much better shot. But as of today, January 20th, I can't put him in the All-Star game just yet, even though I want him or Spencer Dinwiddie to be able to represent Brooklyn and Charlotte. I tend to agree with you that I, I don't think he'll get in. I think that he's sort of on that fringe area with, say, another Raptors player like Pascal Siakam, who's had a, a really key part in, in what they've been able to do this season. But with the way that he's playing, if he was to have extrapolated or played the way he's done over the last month for the entirety of the season, I think that'd be really hard to argue that he's not an all-star mm-hmm. caliber player. The problem is that he just didn't start off the season that well. Last last thing I want to talk about with Russell, with you, Josh, is it seemed to me there was a game, I think it was... Uh, it was oh, it's a double overtime game 
uh, earlier, maybe three or four weeks ago, where Russell didn't mm-hmm. play any of the overtime periods, didn't play any of the fourth quarter. And from then, it seemed like his play has really turned around. He's been lent on a lot more by Kenny Atkinson. I'm not sure if you can recall the game that I'm, that I'm talking about, but that seemed to change a lot with D'Angelo. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, that was the Charlotte double overtime game where, I mean, he only played, finished with 27 minutes. And the one thing about Kenny Atkinson is he has the luxury of having two really solid lead ball handlers in Russell and also Spencer Dinwiddie. But this was a kind of the issue with Russell the whole first half of the season and, and even going into late December that if there were games he didn't play, then Kenny Atkinson wouldn't play him in, late in the game uh, if he wasn't doing well. So it, it made the fans wonder, is D'Angelo Russell a part of this team's future? But Kenny Atkinson, going back to what we said with Kurutz, he really is about rewarding the guys who are are doing well. And the Nets don't have any superstar player yet that would really warrant them being on the uh, on the floor for crunch time regardless. So he was trying to give that tough love to D'Angelo Russell, saying, hey, you have to earn it. You're not just going to be given that spot because you're the starting point guard and you're the former number two overall pick. If Spencer Dinwiddie's doing better than you, he's going to be playing to close out games. So maybe something just clicked with D'Angelo Russell. Uh, it did coincide with his red-hot start to January um, where he's just been dripping buckets. So, I mean, maybe something clicked, and I hope it does, but he is very uh, a streaky player. You know, he always has games like the one in Orlando where he goes off for 40 points, and then he can come out the next day and have a two-for-11 game. So it looks like he's been gaining a bit more consistency this season, but I really need to see him do it over a full 82 um, to, to make myself feel more comfortable with the Nets giving him an extension this offseason. Last question, just a quick answer from you here. Karis LeVert back before or after the All-Star break? Oh, definitely after. I mean, the Nets are so conservative with injuries, and this is not a team that gives a lot of information. You know, Crab has been out a month, and the Nets still said he was day-to-day. So going back to the LeVert injury, I think if everything goes well, we'll see him by March 1st, but I really don't think they're going to rush him back. He's doing some light shooting, and with the way this Nets team is playing, it makes sure to it makes most sense to bring him in when he's fully healthy, 100% ready to go. They're not going to rush um, any sort of long-term plan just for a short-term gain. So I would have to say the after. I, would and I know you wanted that to be quick, so sorry, Josh. Yep, that's all right. I would agree with that as well, Josh. Thank you for jumping on here, talking about the Nets. If you want to hear more about the Nets, one of the Eastern Conference surprise teams, make sure you are checking out Locked on Nets. Josh, thanks for jumping on. Thank you so much for having me. Now we bring in the host of the Locked On Warriors podcast. It's Charles Hamilton. And of course, over the weekend, we saw the season debut for one DeMarcus Cousins. Charles, how did uh, how did Boogie look? To me, he looked pretty good. I mean, it, all things considered, I think the debut went about as well as you could hope. Uh, they They tried to force it to him early. He looked a little unsure on the block i think that's the thing that's going to take a while for him to to get back used to is just the the physicality uh but then they put him in the pick and roll with kd and he throws down a dunk and you know i I thought the bench might get a technical for the way they reacted uh they were pretty hyped for just about anything uh boogie did like every completed dribble they they would lose their minds which was funny to see but uh you know he ended up going three or four from three which i saw some people were surprised about and i I mean, the guy, his shot, you know, right around 36% from three the last two years. It hit over 100 in, in I think, 48 games last year. So it was uh, it was good to see. The physicality uh, rebounding was something that the Warriors have missed. Uh, something that, that I've been saying is, you know, obviously getting Boogie is a big bonus for them because he's a great player. But 
also just the fact that he's, you know, 6'11", 270, because they have a couple of really undersized centers right now, especially after Damian Jones went down, who, regardless of how you feel about him as a player, he, he does have size. And once he went down, they just did not have it at all. So getting him back, uh, getting Boogie, well, not back, I guess, getting him debuted, uh, I think it went pretty well. There's obviously questions that still need to be answered, but as far as one game, 15 minutes, and six fouls, uh, I think it went pretty well. The report today that's just come out not not that long ago, actually, is that the Warriors won't be looking to limit him on back-to-back, so he'll be ready to go. And that was part of the, I guess, early discussion about him coming back at this point, that a few weeks ago he was cleared to return, but the Warriors didn't want him coming in and, and playing 10 minutes a night and being limited, just having him come in and hit the ground running. So that appears to be tying into that initial report there, that he's going to come in and be... Yeah, basically not not a quite a full go, but pretty close to it. How long do you think uh, it is before he's at you know full minutes? And and what are full minutes on this team? Is he just going to go through it you know, twenty six, twenty seven a night, or will he push through to the thirty three, thirty four that all the other four All Stars play? I'd say somewhere in between, probably closer to thirty, but I doubt that he'll get up to thirty four, thirty five, and. One of the things that we we have to watch for, which I don't think will be a problem, but you never know, is games where he isn't getting those minutes because it's a better matchup for Kavon Looney or for Andre Iguodala, where you know he might only play 18 minutes or something like that. But I do think that he'll probably be up around 30 a game or so because he's just so skilled. I mean, he's he's just so skilled, and they're going to find ways to use him. Uh, I mean, they ran him off a couple screens for that first three uh, on Friday, and I just think they're going to find a ton of different ways to use him. So he'll probably get a good amount of minutes. But as far as the same as the other four All-Stars, I, I kind of doubt it. Because there's also still the the idea of you know coming off the Achilles injury and, and getting back to 100% or as close as possible. Yeah, of course, coming off that injury is is no joke at all. How did you find you know, he's straight into the starting lineup? I guess it's only been a limited amount that we've seen him play, of course. But in that time that he did share the court with those other stars, how how did that fit look? Who was it was? You said they were force feeding him early to to get those touches. Who was the one that's or who the one do you think is most likely to sacrifice in order to get Boogie in there? Or do you think it would just be more of a he starts, he's the first one that comes out, and then he comes in at those traditional times when Steph and KD sit. Yeah, so he's going to be starting, and I thought it worked out well. I mean, it won't be a sacrifice for Draymond, but I think Draymond will look to get him involved as much as possible, uh, just because that's kind of how he is. And I, I think the the pattern we're looking at here is that he'll start with the the starters, obviously, and and depending on how long he can go. Uh, right now, it's about four or five minutes. Maybe they'll push it to six or seven, but then he's definitely going to be starting the second and fourth quarter with the the second unit, which is. Uh, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, uh, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and DeMarcus Cousins, or at least that's what we saw in this first game. I'd be surprised if they didn't continue with that. And then Alfonso McKinney came in for uh, Andre Iguodala at certain times. So I think that's a, a lineup we're going to see a lot uh, with him in the second and fourth, and I think that's where he'll get a lot of his looks, a lot of his touches down low. We saw a little bit of it uh, in this first game where he was playing the David West role, uh, where they would post him up and you know run a lot of back cuts off him, a lot of screens off him. But with DeMarcus Cousins, he can do a lot more off of a, a post-up than David West could at 37 years old. So I think, I definitely think Draymond will be the one to, to kind of overdo it as far as getting uh, getting Boogie involved. But for the first couple games, I wouldn't be surprised if it's pretty much everyone. Yeah, I can see that being being the case. Um, it looks like Yunus Sharepko is going to lose uh, yeah, a lot of his role here with, with Cousins. Mm-hmm. 
um, in the fray. Do you think that's the right decision? Because he's provided some really quality minutes for this uh, for this team so far this season. He definitely has, and I think what it's going to be is matchup based between Jarebko and McKinney. And the problem is, I think McKinney fits most matchups better because he's more versatile. He can guard multiple positions where Jonas Jarebko, as good as he's been, is just not much of a defender. He's kind of lead foot. But if the matchup does call for for Jarebko, he'll be in there. But McKinney can defend some fours. It's not ideal, but he can do it where he can also defend twos and threes. Jarebko can maybe defend some fours. So uh, Steve Kerr usually leans defense, so I, I'd imagine McKinney will get more of the opportunities. But uh, I agree with you. Jarebko's been really good. Uh, but both McKinney and Jarebko have been struggling shooting from three recently. So when you look at that and then you factor in the defense, McKinney will probably get more of the, more of the run. One last, well, last thing to touch on with this team, so much focus has been on James Harden and what he's been doing. But Steph Curry's had a pretty significant run himself lately. Are we... Back, you know, Steph Curry, he started this season on fire, hurt the groin, then I guess struggled marginally when coming back. Is he back to that early season form again now? Oh, definitely. I mean, he had a recent run. I think it was Dallas, Denver, and New Orleans, you know, first player to ever hit eight threes in in, uh, three consecutive games. He had a rough game against the Clippers, which is funny to say because I think he still had 28 points, but I think he went three of 11 from three. So he'll, he has some of those in between, but if you ask me, he's as as back as he can be. I mean, that, that run he had against uh, New Orleans late in the third where he, you know, hit seven straight threes and, and actually, you know, got them the lead when they were down, I think, 16. Uh, I would say he's he's absolutely back. I'm a little more worried about Clay uh, just finding the consistency. He's been playing better right now. But there's still some bad games in between good games, which obviously he's allowed. But when you have a 36-game stretch that has been, you know, as bad as we've ever seen Clay play before, at least shooting-wise, uh, those those bad games you just hope he can bounce back from. Yeah, I, I think that that's. I think it's all it's all starting to come together for this Golden State team, of course. Definitely. Um, and Charles, everyone will be able to hear about your thoughts on the Warriors on Locked On Warriors. So thanks for jumping on yes, Locked sir. On NBA with me. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. And that does it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure after you finish listening to this podcast, you go and check out the other shows across the network. Check your favorite team on the Locked On NBA network. And you can do that by telling your smart speaker to play the podcast, Locked On, and then say the team name. Locked On Hawks, Locked On Nets, Locked On Celtics, Locked On Warriors, whichever team it is that you want to hear, your smart speaker can play that for you. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and check out the network at Locked On NBA Net on both Twitter and on Instagram. Guys, we are done. Here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.